Turn with me to Daniel chapter 2, as we continue our study in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 24 through 29 this morning, finishing up that chapter. Before we do that, let's go again to the Lord in prayer and ask for His help as we open His Word. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would open it up for us in such a way that it would teach us, and teach us not only as those who are often willing to to learn what you would have us learn, who are willing to sit at your feet, submit to your authority, and to obey your words, but also teach us as those who many times do the exact opposite, who wander away from you, who aren't willing to hear what you have to say, and who believe our way is right even though our way ends in death. Lord, we pray that you would correct us, rebuke us, transform us as we open your word, that you would cause us to walk in your ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come to this passage in Daniel chapter 2, we're going to be dealing with the concept of the kingdom of God. Um, One of the things that Jesus taught us to pray is that his kingdom would come. He taught us to pray that in his prayer. And as he began his earthly ministry, his his message was repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. And his preaching and his teaching always had that mark to it, that he was always talking about the kingdom of God and the idea that there are ultimately two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man or the kingdom of this world. One is eternal, kingdom of God. The other is passing away. Yet any discussion on the kingdom of God will likely draw lots of discussions and debates from Christians, even from fellow Reformed Christians. What does it mean that the kingdom of God is at hand? And what does it mean that we should pray for it to come if it's already here? What does the church have to do with that today? All these are good questions. Lots of our questions that I believe Daniel 2 does a fantastic job of answering. Daniel had his feet in two kingdoms at the same time in many ways as a Jewish man faithful to God but in exile and a servant to a pagan king in the land of Babylon. If anyone understood the need for the kingdom of God to come, it was Daniel. And Daniel recognized God's kingdom coming wasn't going to come by any other earthly ruler, that it had to come by God himself. Daniel believed in the promises in Psalm 2 that were written way before his time. Said, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. Daniel knew these words by heart. He saw that through God's provision, and he acted in his life as if he believed these things. By all accounts, it should not have been easy for Daniel to live the way that he lived. It should have been very easy, in fact, for him to doubt his faith to doubt the promises of God. But over and over in the pages of this book, we see just the opposite. Him acting above reproach, even though he's in the midst of a harsh world. 
As we come to God's word this morning, we're going to see a plain picture, not only of the kingdom of this world being smashed to bits, but also the kingdom of God growing in this world. And as a Christian, this shouldn't cause us fear, but rather it should give us hope and security and the promises that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. With that, we'll break this text up into two main points, the falling king or the failing kingdom of this world and the coming kingdom of God. Let's look together at the text, Daniel chapter 2, starting at verse 24. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Daniel chapter 2, verses 24 through 49. Therefore Daniel went went into Arioch, and the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, and he went and thus and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon, bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. And Arioch brought Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream from which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise man, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and your visions of your head has as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of What would be after this? And who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be? But as for me, the mystery has been has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image, this image mighty and exceedingly exceeding and of exceeding brightness stood before you and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away, so not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will, t- now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things, and like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, and you saw that iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. 
And you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they shall mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron and clay, or just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days the kings of God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and shall bring them to the end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and it that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king that shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of, Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. And the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. Quite a bit there. If you remember last week, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that troubled him. Right? He had this dream and he became, he became afraid. In fact, he became so afraid that he threatened to kill all the wise men of Babylon because they couldn't tell him his dream. Not just the interpretation of his dream, but actually tell him what he dreamed on that night. They tried to explain that nobody could do this, but he wasn't having their explanation, so he sent out the captain to kill all of those people, including Daniel and his friends. But Daniel, who was given godly wisdom and persuasion, was able to convince the captain to stay his hand and that he would be able to give the king what he wanted. He would be able to give the king not only his dream, but also the interpretation. Remember, Daniel gathered with his friends together and they prayed before the Lord. The Lord honored that request. And here now Daniel stands ready to give the king his interpretation, in which he does. One of the things that I want to mention is kind of an aside of this picture of, of Daniel as the emissary of the one true God and king going before a man who thought himself to be those things. Nebuchadnezzar thought himself to be God and king, but Daniel was coming as the actual God and king's messenger. This is a picture that we see a lot in the scriptures of the man of God going before a ruler who believes himself to be some sort of deity. And the man of God representing God's word clearly and boldly with no apparent fear of consequences. This is not only necessary in the times of, that were difficult, like Daniel was dealing with here and like we see elsewhere in the scriptures, but really it's necessary in any time. Wartime, peacetime, feast, famine, whenever it is necessary to rightly proclaim the word of God. Watching a nation rise and fall is not due to whatever else they may say it is. It's not due to finances or war or anything else. As you read history, it's going to state those things, but we know the reason that nations rise and fall. It's because it's the will of God. God may use those means or any means he deems necessary to bring a nation to its knees or to wipe that nation out, yet the need for the preaching of God and the preaching of God's word never ceases. 
I only mention this here because it's never been more important for us to continue to rely on God's word for wisdom and to preach God's word to anyone who would hear, especially those who are in power. It's not because we want our particular party to be in power, but because we want to make disciples of Jesus. That's it. That's what we've been called to do. We go through this passage today, I want to make sure that we frame it in that way. We are not searching as Christians for the right earthly kingdom to be leading. Rather, we want every knee and every tongue, we want every knee to bow and every tongue to confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the hope for the kingdom of this world, no matter which kingdom it is, and that is whom we shall preach. That brings us to the first point, the failing kingdom of this world. Look with me again at verses 24 through 26. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. When he, he went and thus said to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Arioch brought Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? In this sequence, Daniel is singled out as the one who is able to tell not only the dream, but its interpretation as well. There's lots of different kinds of wordplay here that's going on. Daniel, as Daniel seeks the mercy for the wise men of Babylon. He doesn't want to see all of these people destroyed, even though he is in exile uh, as a, a, from Judah because of them. And yet Daniel, when he refers to himself in the story, he says, Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. We have this kind of battle going forward there in verse 26. As the word Daniel again means God is my judge. And the word Belteshazzar means Baal gives life. And so you have this kind of battle going on. God is my judge. Baal gives life. Daniel goes before this despot king who desires power more than anything, who controls all things, who is able to give life or take life. And so for the reader who is reading this, we have kind of this contest at the beginning. And we get to see the results of this contest as we read further. Verses 27 and 28. Daniel answered the king and said, No wise man, enchanters and magicians or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. None of the wise men of Babylon were able to make sense of the king's request. But Daniel says there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And Daniel Daniel makes sure that he, that he understands. This isn't even about me as he goes on. But as for me, verse 30, the mysteries has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have. And I think that's important. It's not because of anything that Daniel's done, but it's so that the king would understand this dream. It's so that we could understand this dream and gain wisdom from it. Because it's very important even for us 
as the people of God, as the children of God, the people of Christ. He tells the king the dream and its interpretation. So as we go through, I think there's a couple important things to note about this dream. As we talk about it, and you've probably heard it taught, I know I still remember the coloring pages as a kid of this statue and all the different parts of it and doing it and being taught that. There's nothing explicitly laid here, laid out here concerning names of kingdoms and times and um, there's some pretty clear indicators as to what is going on. Bible interpreters throughout the centuries have pretty much agreed on this dream's historical significance and the kingdoms that are represented here. And you have this series of kingdoms, starting with the head, which thankfully Daniel helps us with the interpretation on that one, telling us that the head of gold represents Nebuchadnezzar. When he goes on, he lists several other kingdoms that are inferior and they're to come after that kingdom. And a lot of the interpreters and historians have basically kind of laid it out like this. Under that that head of gold is the, the silver, which is the chest and the arms. This is to represent the Medo-Persian Empire, which came after Babylon, took them over. Well, then you have the bronze legs and the torso. This is to represent the Greeks under Alexander, because it says he ruled the world, which Alexander ruled the known world at the time. And then the iron that slowly turns into clay as it nears the feet represents the Roman Empire, which was present during Jesus' time and was just this future figment in Daniel's time, but they were able to kind of call it out there. Again, these ideas aren't explicitly there, so don't take that as gospel truth because we don't really know what kingdoms are being referred to here, but that's probably what's going on. Much and much has been done with this over the years. I'm sure that you've heard lots of different things, as I have too. People have even given names to the ten toads that were mentioned here. Some of the stuff that I've read is just completely outlandish when it comes to this. The ten toes of Daniel's vision, or something along those lines. It may make for some clickbait, but it doesn't make for any sort of good teaching on this text heard lots of people talk about what does the clay and iron mix together. Well, iron obviously represents Christ, right? Because he's to wield the rod of iron. We read that in Psalm chapter 2 today. We see that in Revelation 20. And that man is corrupt and he represents clay. And, and then soon people drift off into fantasy, myth, and legend concerning this passage. And they miss the real meat and the real message that's here. This passage isn't a prediction of some current event that we should be reading our newspapers in order to find out its interpretation. Far from the truth, the message of Nebuchadnezzar's dream can be summed up in the plain things that Daniel said to the king. Look with me at verses 37 and 38 of Daniel chapter 2. This was the dream. Now we'll tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them, you are the head of gold. What is Daniel saying to Nebuchadnezzar? Well, he's reminding him, that each of these kingdoms, including you, king, the head of gold, have come about because of the direct hand of the almighty king of heaven, the Lord. 
Remember his prayer in Daniel in, in chapter 2, 21, just looking back. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. And all of this in Babylon that we're reading about, all their wealth and power and glory, all of this would not be able to elude the fact that God in heaven is the one that gave all of this to them. We read that in the very opening verses of this book, did we not? That God gave Babylon all of this power and he would take away their power as well. And their kingdom would give way to another, then another, then another. And notice all of these kingdoms, whether they may be made of gold or iron mixed with clay, all have the same fate. With me at verse 35. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold, all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. The kingdoms of this earth became like chaff that blows in the wind, scattered so much so that they're just buried. There's no trace of them left. We can find traces of them buried under feet of sand when we go and dare to dig. Psalm chapter 2 that we read together this morning tells us the Son of God is being given the kingdoms of this world and then with his rod of iron will smash them like pieces of pottery. While Psalm 2 tells us about the one who's doing the smashing, Psalm 1 is what tells us why they became the chaff. Let's look, at, let's look together at Psalm chapter 1. Very famous psalm. Lots of people have this psalm memorized. I'm going to read it in its entirety. It's six verses. But I want you to understand, these words are not just randomly used when we're talking about dust being blown like chaff. Why would he have chosen these words? What is it about these kingdoms that causes them to turn to dust? Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on it, and on his law it meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and in all he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. While the righteous man is planted beside streams of water with strong roots, abundant fruit, not tossed around by winds and the waves of doctrine, the wicked are like chaff. The wind drives away. The kingdoms of this earth, because of their wickedness, are like chaff. They're gold, silver, bronze, iron, clay, whatever you want to name, are pulverized into fine powder and driven away by the wind with none to deliver. And just like the dust that blows, it's here today, gone tomorrow, never to return. Imagine being Nebuchadnezzar and hearing this. 
this is going on. He, he dreamed it, but now he's hearing what all this meant. Well, he gives us a proper response to hearing this, verse 46 and 47, back in Daniel chapter 2. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, paid homage to Daniel, and commanded that an offering of an incense be offered up to him. Not so proper, I don't guess. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Nebuchadnezzar falls on his face and at least acknowledges God as having some place in this, but we, we shouldn't be too quick to convert Nebuchadnezzar here and call him a child of God and anything like that because it's pretty standard for the world to at least acknowledge that God exists. The Apostle Paul wrote about this. Let's go, let's go to Romans chapter 1. And let's read about this. It's pretty normal for the world to just look at God and say, yeah, of course, of course He exists. It doesn't change what they, how they act. It doesn't change the way they believe. We even saw that from 1 Samuel this morning as we looked at Saul, had this kind of moment of clarity. But it doesn't really change anything. We'll start at verse 18 and read through 21, then I'll read 24 and 25. And, and consider this. As we read these, these verses, these are verses that are very familiar to us here at Redeemer. But, but consider Nebuchadnezzar and his, his confession here, right? And, and how does that play out? Well, Paul is, has a good, has a good beat on this, I think. Romans 1 verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. This is the way of God. To reveal himself so much so that man is without excuse. To make himself known. It is the way of man to exchange that knowledge. To exchange that truth for a bold-faced lie. As we'll see in the next chapter with Nebuchadnezzar. His confession is very short-lived. And to worship the creature rather than the creator. Failing of the kingdom of this world is because of sin. And the power of sin and death can only be overcome by God Himself. And this is the God-man, Jesus Christ. Daniel knew this. He knew that God ultimately would be the one who builds kingdoms, who tears them down, who sees His own kingdom come by the rule of His Son, who would to rule over all kingdoms and smash them to dust. So then why is it, brothers and sisters in Christ, if we know these things to be true, we know them to be true, why is it that we put our trust in earthly kingdoms? 
Like Nebuchadnezzar, we forget God and we easily worship the Creator rather than, or we easily worship the creature rather than the Creator. We may even give lip service to God like Nebuchadnezzar here, but our hearts are revealed by the statues we erect and the men that we worship. The call for the people of God here is to turn to God, to see that there is another kingdom that is coming, that is here, that will not go away. The fact is it's coming to crush the kingdoms of this world and replace them with a heavenly kingdom, and that is happening even now. That brings us to the second point, the coming kingdom of God. Back in Daniel chapter 2, let's look at verses 31 through 35 together. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest of arms and silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron and partly of iron and, or, and feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. And the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. There's a picture of this statue that will be crumbled and it's made of metal. It's made of lots of different things, but there's this stone that comes in. The stone is given no real description. It's given no significance other than it was from uncut stone or no human hand had made this stone. And it struck the feet. And as soon as it struck the feet, the whole statue kind of crumbled. It gives us the picture that this maybe this stone wasn't all that big when it hit the uh, feet. But that stone didn't just destroy the statue. It didn't just take the statue and turn it into dust so that the statue completely disappeared like the things that are being blown in the wind, but it took over the whole world, growing to the size of a giant mountain and beyond. And think about this. I've had lots of strange dreams in my life, but nothing, anything like this. This great statue was taken over by this small stone, and this small stone soon became this world-sized mountain unable to be stopped. It was Daniel's interpretation of this that drove Nebuchadnezzar to his knees. Verses 44 and 45. Just as you saw that stone was cut from a mountain. 44, sorry. And in those days of of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all the kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and the interpretation sure. In the days of those kings, another kingdom would start to grow. And it would never be destroyed, and it would continue to grow and to break into pieces those earthly kingdoms. We know from God's word that it was during the reign of that fourth kingdom that one came down to earth preaching 
the kingdom of God is at hand. Imagine hearing Jesus preach these words as he walked on the earth and he began to preach this message to the people. The kingdom of God is at hand. Being a Jewish person, knowing the words that you read in Daniel all those years ago and studied them and understood them, that there was going to be this kingdom that would come and destroy all the other ones. And this man comes preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. And in those days of the kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. The prophecy of the Old Testament unfolded as Jesus ministered in Judea. Jesus' coming was a fulfillment of those prophecies, and with him came the kingdom of God. Jesus was the stone in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. The stone that wasn't silver or gold or bronze or iron or even clay single-handedly wiped out the kingdom of this earth and replaced them with his own. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and salvation is found in no one else. Throughout the Old Testament, the promises of God pointed to a time when the people of God would no longer long for a worldly home, but would have a sure kingdom forever with God. Jesus' coming was God-made flesh. And he comes and he says the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus came and brought this kingdom to earth with him. And since then, what has his kingdom done? It has grown. Even in spite of the the attempts of the kingdoms of this earth to destroy it, it has grown. The kingdoms of this earth will all pass away, but the kingdom of God will remain sure. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 5, it says this, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Nebuchadnezzar saw this day, and what was his response? He trembled. But it wasn't enough to drive him to the Lord. Daniel saw this day and was glad, and he awaited the day that his Savior would finally come. What about for us? Brothers and sisters in Christ, Nebuchadnezzar's strange dream has been laid bare and has been made plain as day at least the parts that matter to us. So do we still believe that the kingdoms of this earth have real power and authority? Or do we trust the only one who actually does? That isn't to say that we shouldn't obey the rulers and the authorities of this world, that we shouldn't want them to turn to Christ, that we shouldn't want good for them for our sakes and the sake of this world. But when it comes to letting them steal our joy and to rob us of the peace that we might have in Christ, in fact, that we do have in Christ, they don't have that kind of power unless we give it to them. When we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, we are praying, and the shorter catechism tells us in the second petition, which is thy kingdom come, we pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed. And that the kingdom of grace may be advanced. Ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it. And that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. That the kingdom of the serpent be crushed under the feet of the Savior. And that the kingdom of grace be advanced. And that this advancement would continue to happen. And that it would happen first in our own hearts. 
Because our sin represents our hanging on to a golden head or a silver chest and arms or an arm or legs of bronze or iron and clay or whatever, holding on to something else other than that stone, which is Christ. First Peter 2, 6 says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers and sisters in Christ, believe in these promises of God. Believe in Jesus in whom these promises are yes and amen. Trust that he holds the kingdoms of this world in his hands. That the kingdom, that his kingdom is coming to this earth is even here now, is in our hearts and is continuing to grow and advance even in spite of us. That sin and death, darkness and defeat are going away. That they are being replaced by light and life. Do not let the world take your peace and your joy. Rather rest in Christ and find joy and peace for your souls in Him. And if you aren't in Christ, the same stone that we talk of that can bring comfort and peace and joy will become the rock of offense, the stumbling block. And hopefully you've read or you've learned from our passage in Daniel today that that stone is not going away. In fact, ignoring it is just going to make it worse. Ignoring it is not going to mean that it's not going to exist. It only grows. So much so that those other kingdoms can't even exist. It's growing. It's going to take over the whole world. And right now, in the hearing of my voice, you can run to that stone. You can run to Jesus for mercy and pardon. Or you can be milled to powder by it. Either way, you're going to have to deal with Jesus. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the one who is sent by God for the forgiveness of your sins. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. But again, for those of us in Christ, let us not only see this as a call to rest in him, to rest in that stone, to find our firm foundation set in it, but to also stand for truth in a confused world. My gosh, isn't it confused? This world is passing away, and they resemble those that are passing away. They are fighting against all hope that their way is going to make it. But we have had our eyes opened. We have been changed. We know the truth. So let us be faithful then with that message of hope that we have for a lost world. Let us be faithful to offer them Jesus for hope and peace and salvation. Let's go to him in prayer.